Welcome to Drinking With Authors. I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the amazing Bo Lake. And our guest today is Ellen Butler. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, for having me. I've been looking forward to this podcast. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so glad. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. And since I was on with my accountant this morning, I'm already partway through my cup. It is, um, I did coffee this morning because it's early, but I have this little, um, cappuccino foamer thing and I put Bailey's with my creamer in the foamer by the way it works just in case anyone out there is wondering it does however make the device very sticky so just be prepared for all of these things I've given a warning okay Paul what are you drinking I am drinking uh coffee this morning I see you got a cup that matches your hair again well done well done okay Ellen what do you got this morning well, I had a cup of tea that I already finished this morning, so I've just moved on to water. Unfortunately, I have to do some driving in a couple of hours, so I can't put any sort of Baileys or fun stuff in for this morning. But um, that's okay. I'll be the designated drinker for everybody. Just <laughs> Thank a little you so bit. much. Because first thing in the morning, but I was like, I, I can pull this off. I can pull it off. <laughs> um, I know that we had to reschedule this, and um, the the evening when we were supposed to do it, unfortunately, uh, I had to reschedule. I appreciate you doing that for me, and I did have a Midori sour for that evening. It was lovely. It was green. It was pretty. It had a little pink straw. Oh, oh my gosh, a pink straw! Now I'm just jealous because that's way fancier than I am. So. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so Ellen, for the crowd out there listening, what do you write? Well, right now I am focused on mysteries and historical spy fiction. I like how you said right now, were you focused on something previous to that? Um, I started out writing romance, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. What, What made the change? Well, I was kind of writing romantic suspense. And as I was going along, I realized that I really enjoyed focusing more on the action and suspense um, than having to focus on the romance. So I still include a lot of romantic elements in my mysteries and historical fiction. There's always a little bit of a love story that goes on there. Um, But I like writing the action and the, you know, the mystery and trying to work that out in my head. So that's why I kind of made the switch. And actually um, the book that we kind of focus on for this podcast was Operation Blackbird, which is a historical spy fiction. And it was in the top 10 for the action fiction writers um, award for this year. And which was really exciting because I'd never been entered for that contest and I made the top 10 so it was pretty pretty excited about that because it's it and they were all there were only two women's books in the top 10 I was one of them and so it's kind of exciting because it really is a male focused um, genre no and I think I'm glad that so many things are changing in that right because um, I think there's been several but I also feel like the other side of it is true is that romance for the most part has been a very female driven genre Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of males stepping into that Mm -hmm. that aren't being ridiculous in their writing um (laughs) there are still some that are ridiculous in their writing and make it seem like we're all in some weird skinamax movie but that's okay some people love that so that's fine so um when did you first start writing um so my first book was published in 2014 
and it was one of my romances. Okay. And um, so I guess I started writing that book about two years before that, and then, you know, finished it and found an agent and blah, blah, blah. Um, so been- I... Go ahead. No, finish. And then I'll ask my next one. Got a little so, bit excited. I apologize. That's okay. So <laughs> yes, I've been, I've been writing since about 2012. It is, was, it's kind of a, a second career for me. Um, after my kids were born, I stayed at home. I have a special needs son and he needed a lot of my attention. And this provided me the flexibility without having to go back full time. And luckily my husband has had good jobs of the, be able to provide for our healthcare. That's very cool. But was this the first time? Um, okay. So we're Scooby-Dooing back to 2012. Um, have you always wanted to be a writer? What made you go? I mean, it's one thing to obviously be a stay-at-home mom and be a reader and all that stuff, but what made people go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a book. Like that's a big step. That's not like, you know, some people have other side jobs that they take when they're right. stay-at-home parents, you know, being, I, I have a very good friend of mine who has a bakery, for instance, and an at-home bakery business. Like there's all these things going to write a book is a, is a, it's a big leap. So how did we get there? Um, it's funny. I never thought of myself as a writer. I mean, I've always been a good writer. Like I loved English class and history, history and government. I mean, my I have a political science degree. So there was always a lot of writing, but it was technical writing. It was policy writing. It was that sort of thing. Um, And I always enjoyed reading. And I guess when I talk with other authors, we think differently than other people. Cause I've sat down with my friends and I said, oh, you know, I saw this movie or read this book. And I always thought, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have done it this way and this way and this way. And my friends are like, what do you mean? You think about that? And I said, oh yeah, I always think about how I would have done it, don't you? And they're like, no, I just read a book and I'm done with it. And I, I think differently. And I remember reading some, some books oh, when my kids were little. And like, I remember when I was nursing them, I would read a book to pass the time or, or whatever. And um, I remember thinking, boy, there's a lot of junk out there. I bet I can write a better book. And ideas had come to my mind. <laughs> Oh, I just started writing. I put, well, I put this um, outline together when my, my oldest was young and I had put this outline together and was thinking about putting it into a book or doing something with it. And I'd created characters and I knew what the climax was going to be and everything. And I stuffed it in a drawer because my second child came along and there were issues and, you know, I just didn't have time. And then he went to school, preschool, and I had nine hours a week to myself. So in those nine hours a week to myself, I start, I pulled this, dusted it off (laughs) and it was dusty. (laughs) Um, And I just started working and typing and putting it together and to see where it would go. And then I, you know, researched finding an agent and writing a query letter and. And you went traditional? Initially, yes. Yeah, so I'm a hybrid author. I have uh, both traditional, I've been published in all realms. So I've been published by a large publisher. Simon Schuster has three of my romances. I've been published by small presses and I'm independently published. So 
I have, um, you know, a lot of background in different areas, but initially I went traditional and I kind of found a following from there. And luckily they followed me into my mysteries. That's very, very cool. That is awesome. And I actually have um, a, a friend that did exactly that. She was writing romance and then she jumped into writing cozy mysteries, mm-hmm. you know, and loves that. She still writes the other stuff on the side, but yeah. Um, well, that's exciting. So um, what, when you went the traditional route and Bo, I'm going to give you the question next, I promise. Sorry. Well, little caffeine Bailey's thing going on in my brain right now. Um, Because uh, you came in at a time where um, independent publishing was picking up steam, mm-hmm. right? Do you feel like your journey into traditional publishing was fairly smooth? In And I say fairly smooth with the caveat that most people don't just walk in and give the book to the first place and they take it and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, that caused you to not go the other routes? Um, I think I just felt as though I didn't know enough about the publishing industry to feel comfortable going independent at that time. Um, So I did do the traditional route. I probably, had I not been successful in finding an agent, I might have looked into a little bit more, but I'm glad I did go traditional initially because um, when you go and you have your first book edited, it's kind of an eye opener. Um, Because as we know, writing is a very closed, you know, you kind of write in a vacuum and especially your first book, unless you're really out there. And, and I was just getting into, um, joining writers groups, which are huge support systems and everything like that. But really the first book was an eye opener because it came back just bleeding. And I was like, oh my God, I thought that she actually liked it. (laughs) And she did. And I came to realize, okay, because I was, you know, I of course go to my agent. I was like, oh my God, they hate my book. You know, what am I going to do? And she said, no, 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 you have to realize because my agent actually edited it first. And I thought, oh, we're putting out a good piece. And she said, well, you need to realize that they're in the industry. They know what readers are looking for in, you know, in their publishing house. And she said, everyone's trying, and this was the best piece of advice. Everyone's trying to put out the best book that can be put on the market and when you look at it that way you realize you know I I didn't I just learned not to fight the small stuff and if there was kind of a a big plot change or something like that that I felt took my book in the wrong direction that's when I would you know put up and put up a fight and say you know I just can't go this way or whatever um so luckily they never really had plot changes for me. They didn't have large content. It was mostly copywriting and maybe adjusting how to say things differently. Um, And sometimes it was just saying things differently and I just couldn't get wrapped around the axle. Okay, you you want my sentence to be read this way rather than this way, whatever. It's still saying the same thing. You know, we're just maybe putting in different words or rearranging it. And sometimes, you know, I've really... I really came to respect and rely on these editors because I would get, I would literally put notes in there and be like, this sentence is awkward. If you can figure out what I'm trying to get at in a better way, please fix it. And they would, I loved it. 
So mm -hmm. I absolutely, with when I do independently, I absolutely heavily rely on my um, editors to give me that sort of feedback. So I'm, and some of them are so nice. They're like, well, you might want to do it this way. I'm like, just put the accent, put the, you know, write all over it, just say, do this. And, you know, then it's ultimately, it's up to me whether or not I'm going to take that. But 95% of the time, I would say I, I take their, all their copy edits. Yeah. Well, Bo has done editing, so she's been on the other side of that situation. Now I have more editing questions. <laughs> and and it's just it, it's interesting to me because I think a lot of people don't approach editing and the editing process. Not that everyone is good. You have to be comfortable and you have to know the editor gets your story. First mm -hmm. of all, it even likes your genre. And I'm right. not saying that it has to be 100% of the time. There are some editors that can do a great job, even if they don't like your the genre you're written, writing in. But that's the exception, not the rule. The majority, you want somebody who enjoys the romance genre, the mystery genre, understands how the dynamics of the book are supposed to work, and also is channeling your story to make it better and not channeling what they think the story should be. There is Correct. a difference. There is a difference there. And, um, but finding the right editor that sort of bloodies the page, if an editor hands me back my stuff and it's not very bloody, I'm like, okay, this needs to go to a different editor. That is really how I view it because I go, this, mm -hmm. no, I, you know, as much as I would love to dust off my shoulders and go, I'm a fantastic author. <laughs> I'm one of the best authors in the whole world. No, I don't care how great of an author you are. You better have bloody pages because if you don't, your editor is not doing their job. Right. Exactly. And that's what I came to learn um, fairly early on because I worried when things didn't come back with plenty of edits, let's say. And you're right, though, um, Erica, you you do have to make sure that the editor isn't trying to take over your story uh, because I have heard some horror stories unfortunately I've got a friend who writes romance and she just told me a whole whole horror story about a book in a series and her editor had left um the, because this is a traditional had left the publisher and so it was just you know pawn first of all they lost it she was like okay who's taking over my book and they're like uh can you send it again we don't know where it is and yeah wow Exactly. And then the new editor, you know, just got piled on and she was not, she didn't have buy-in to the book. Um, and they wanted to completely change her character. She, her, her male uh, lead, it was a romance and her male lead uh, was on the autism spectrum. And the, the editor was arguing, oh, this isn't right, blah, blah, blah. Now she has an autistic son. So she actually knows very well intimately mm -hmm. how they behave and how they act and um so they were like well we want you to change it we want you to take all this out blah 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 and luckily her agent also loved this book and knew what it would bring to to the public and to the right group and everything like that so and this was number two in a three-part series and so book one was already out so what they ended up doing was taking the book back. She said, I will write a new book. And she rearranged the names in the town and they sold it to another 
traditional publisher as a standalone. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And they were very excited about it because that was also, and I thought, I think that was a very short-sighted of her original editor because they were also, that was a time when all this was, you know, just diversity really was starting to take off, you know, in the 20, what is that, 2016, 2017, when just the real diversity, let's start talking about this. Let's start talking about people who are different. And I don't just mean, you know, race, I'm talking, you know, transgender and all that sort of stuff and including um, people with different abilities. Mm -hmm. So I was very shocked that they, that the original publisher kind of went in that direction. I think perhaps it was also because she didn't have her original editor with the buy-in, like you said. And so, you know, you really have to know when to, um, when something is, when you know your book is right and what it has to be, then that's the time to stand up and really fight for it. And I, I'd say that, and I promise, Bo, I'm going to give you the rest before the break. I say this all the time is that there's an integrity part with your work. Your Every word you write is not a diamond. It's just not. Get over yourself. It's not. And there are people that can make it better. That doesn't mean they mm-hmm. should change it. So you have to go, what are you comfortable? This is your work of art. So what are you comfortable having changed? And even if they want to go a direction that's not necessarily bad, but it's not the direction you want to go, then you have to be willing to go, nope, this is my artwork. I'm not going that direction. Like you have to know where to balance yourself so that your integrity is in place as an artist, because we've talked to literally, you know, 400 plus people now. And the amount of times I've been told that the compromise is in, you know, they compromise something that was violated what they wanted as their artwork drives me completely crazy. Mm. Like, I think that's something that really has to be different. But at the same time, to your point, you need to know when to acquiesce and just go, this is not, this is not the hill I'm going to die on. Right. But there are hills that you want to die on and go, this is the hill I'm going to die on. I'm not going to do this. The other stuff you should let it go. Like I always say, for instance, on covers, your, your company is going to probably want to do the cover. They should want to do the cover because it's a marketing thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But then go look at the top 100 books in that category, right? And look at what the covers look like. If the covers don't look similar, I'm not saying the same, Mm -hmm. but we all visually do something. If they don't look similar, then go, no, no. Here's some examples and ones I think would be good. I, yes. (laughs) And I agree. And I did that. And as as a new author, I did not do it initially because let's just say some of my covers could have been better. And I was, as a new author, I was like, oh, well, they must know what they're doing. But, and this was a part of a trilogy. And by the third book, I was like, this isn't working. I was like, can you give me the weekend to go and come up with some ideas and look at, and, you know, so I went out and looked at and, and even kind of did a mock-up and recommended. And I was like, here you go, here are my thoughts. And they pretty much went with what I had recommended. And I don't think it was great because I didn't have a huge amount of time and I was limited on what I could utilize, but I think it was definitely better than what they had presented me with. And so I did kind of learn there that I'm going to start standing up. And the one thing that I do get compliments on is a lot of people for my 
independent books in particular, they say you do a really good job with your covers. And I do work with professionals, but I have a lot of design input into what I want them to do. And I, I kind of know what I want. And I worried initially when I first started working with cover artists, because I thought they'd be like, oh, this is a picky, annoying woman. But I did have a cover artist tell me, actually, we like it when you know what you want, because then we can, you know, there's like a target, there's something they can, a goal that they can try and achieve. Yeah, well, and, and to that point is that if cover artists can be great, but guess what? They're not marketing trend experts. Mm-hmm. They're great at creating beautiful covers, but you have to go, what are people looking for? Like there's all these change and shifts and stuff like that with the way covers look and the differences. And you have to go, where are we right now? And especially if it's a self-published book, because you're determining when it's coming out, right? Sometimes- right. With traditional books, unfortunately, they come out two years later. You just have to hope that you've got the right kind of cover on it because who knows right. two years what the covers are going to look like. But um, the ones you're doing yourself, the cover artist will do great. But if you're like, listen, um, this is a sweet town romance, but what I'd like on it is a really flashy motorcycle and a red thing, you know, and like that nobody's going to look at that book and go, oh, that's a sweet town romance because that's not what right. they look like, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, okay, Bo, Very ask true. questions before we have to take a break. You get two, quick, do it. Oh, two. Um, how has, going back to editing, how has editing changed for you doing self-published where you can choose your own editor? Hmm. Well, it's funny because um, one of the editors I used actually I knew her because she was an editor when I was traditionally published and she left. And so I utilized her. So I already knew, you know, what I was getting and where I was going. And then, um, cause I've used a couple of different editors depending on the book and the genre. Um, <clears throat> I just, it took me a while to find the, uh, a good one for my mysteries. I, I really like her. Um, she keeps me honest and because I've used her throughout the series, she knows, she remembers the characters and everything. And she's caught some of my stupid mistakes. Um, and so it's been very helpful and useful and she makes it bleed. And I'm glad, like you said, I, I need to see that. Otherwise then I worry. I'm like, mm, did she do a good job? Did they do a good job? Yeah. Did, did, they, she pay did they earn the paycheck? Yeah. Right. So it's very, yeah, it's very important. I think editing is a, is a major thing. And I tell people because I, I mentor new incoming authors and I tell those new authors who decide to go independent. They're like, oh, my wife was an English teacher. And I'm like, hmm, well, there's a difference between an English teacher and an editor. And then I will say things like, oh, and will she edit your book in AP or Chicago manual style? And they'll go, uh, (laughs) And then you worry that their their spouse is going to be too nice instead right. of like getting in there and really chop, well, you know, chopping up the words that are right. Exactly. You know? I just worry in that type of situation. I'm like, you know, you, you just might want to find a professional to someone who's outside of your circle as well. Because like you said, someone insert inside your circle is going to look at your book differently than someone outside your circle. Um, so I, I think it's, getting a professional editor is, is, is just something you have to do. 
I agree. I know we've talked about um, marketing a little with covers. Um, what about other marketing? How has that process been between traditional and indie? So here's the thing with traditional publishing, and I, I tell folks this when they're looking for an agent and they're, you know, trying to get a traditional publisher pu published traditionally, it doesn't matter whether you're independent or traditionally published, you are going to be expected, especially like when you get that money, you know, you get that advance, they're expecting you to use a portion of that at least to get your, to do some professional marketing or, you know, do some marketing for yourself. Um, and people are like, really, they don't do it all. No, especially not in this day and age, you know, they'll do a lot. If you're John Grisham or Nora Roberts, or, you know, you're a big name and they'll do a lot for you then. But if you're a newbie or you're just trying to get off the ground, they are expecting you to do a lot of your own marketing. And here's some of the reality that I realized and a little bit why I decided to do more independent work. Whatever I put into my marketing, I get to see out, I get to see directly. So if I'm running um, like newsletter promotions and stuff like that, I'm gonna know pretty immediately how it goes. Um, when you're paid twice a year from a traditional publisher, you have no idea. And you still don't know because it's not like you get to see your daily sales or anything like that. You just get a chunk and they tell you how many books you sold between this, you know, between this date and this date. That's it. And here are your royalties. Um, so it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's different to be independent and versus, you know, obviously you're going to get a push and they will do some marketing for you but you need to be ready to hit the ground running and not just sit back and be like, so, hey, what are you doing from me? Uh, and that is one of the things that um, if I do decide to go, because I am writing a book that I may um, send out to traditional publishers and that sort of thing. One of the things that I'm gonna be looking at more is um, the marketing. And the other thing is the rights because when you're with a traditional publisher, especially when you start out, they grab all those rights. And then like my romances, they're, they're not an audiobook. yet all my independent published, uh, I have contracts and they're an audiobook because I've pushed for that. They grab my rights and they're sitting on them. They're doing nothing with them. So read the contracts, my friends. And it's not your fault, but what it's is not even just read the contracts. It's make sure that you and your agent have a conversation about it beforehand so that you know what you're getting into. And so that your agent can also tell you, hopefully, you know, what that particular publisher tends to do with those rights. Yes. And one thing I'm going to throw out and then we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back is one thing that I, I came up the other day and somebody was like, what that happens is how long are they going to keep your book published for? Mm -hmm. because I spoke to somebody the other day and they're a very well-known author and they had a series. There were three books supposed to come out in the series. The third book got hung up. They changed editors, kind of a similar situation to you. By the time the third book released, the first book was already removed from publication. Yeah. And so you, you generally don't sell book three. You generally sell book one and then the people buy two and three. So even when book three comes out, you talk about it, but you talk about it because of book one, people hitting the buy button, right? 
And she was like, and then they were like, oh, we don't want to do anything else. We're actually going to pull this down from publication. She's like, why did you take down book one? Like, what did you gain by doing that? It's like it's like shooting yourself in the foot. Like, mm-hmm. how did they expect three to sell? Yeah. Right, if one doesn't exist. But they don't think like that. And it's weird yeah. that they don't think like that, but they don't think like that. So anyway, okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Thank you. Hey, listeners, you know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform or choice, or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. Okay, we're back. Um, Bo, I'm gonna give you a couple more questions before rapid fire, so because I stole like they're good (laughs) yeah I hope they're good too because otherwise you know you're nothing will happen I could pretend like I'm threatening something bad will happen do it or else (laughs) something bad will happen to me I might get fired from the podcast yeah (laughs) what since you write mysteries what is your favorite mystery trope oh goodness I, that's a that's a very interesting question, and <laughs> I one apparently. Well, I've never <laughs> thought of it, but so my mysteries are not all murder mysteries. Like a, a mm. lot of mystery writers, especially cozies, you know, someone dies. So of the six in the series, I only have one murder mystery. I have mm. so I think heists and thefts because I have an art heist. I have. Um, a diamond theft. I have a um, <clears throat> oh, one of them's an artifact forgery, and the latest one that's coming out is dealing with um, art theft and uh, kidnapping and all sorts of stuff. So um, probably doing more. So I'm far more interested in in art and that sort of thing than in murder mysteries. Um, but I do, I mean, I enjoy reading a good murder mystery and I just wrote a good, uh, short story murder mystery that'll be coming out in a, in an anthology, but, um, yeah, so probably more of like the heist type of thing. How did you research for, um, those books, especially like heist related things like, oh, so the art, right. Um, so I, for, for the first book, for Karina Cardinal's first book, which is Isabella's Painting, I saw a, a documentary on the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. And that's what it's based around. It happened in 1990. Two men broke into the um, museum, stole $500 million worth of artwork. And t- to this day, this art remains at large, and it's still considered one of the largest art heists in history. And 
I was, I, I luckily I, I, I used to live in Washington, DC and I had a lot of friends in different, like I have CIA, DEA, police officers, FBI. And so I reached out to my FBI contact and he put me in contact with a fellow who used to work in the art crimes division and actually worked this heist in Boston. And um, so I interviewed him for quite a while and got a lot of information. So I do enjoy doing interviews for my stuff. For the artifact forgery, um, I reached out to an art um, professor at, I think it was a university in Georgia. And she's been in, in teaching and been in the art business and because um, she does art, what's it called? Um, identification to make sure that it's not fake. And I interviewed her for that um, to discuss like how you would create a fake and the, um, how you can establish provenance. And it's actually really disturbing how people have put out fakes, fakes out into the world and establish provenance doing the long con basically. So um, yeah, it's really, it was really interesting information. Um, I actually give a presentation on the top 10 art heists in history. <laughs> it's a lot of fun looking at some of these. What people will do, it's crazy. Um, like one of the things that I talk about is a stolen piece of sculpture that was like two tons and literally it was in this garden and they backed a truck in with a crane and stole this two ton piece of artwork and it was never discovered because they figured they uh, broke it down and used it for scrap metal, which is just disturbing that you would take this beautiful piece of artwork and use it for scrap metal. And pr they probably got like a couple thousand dollars and this was like a couple million dollar sculpture. Um, so I do try and reach out uh, as much as I can, like for this, for my recent one. So I have a new book, I'll show you the cover Doo -doo -doo, coming out in October. It's called Spectral Revelations. And yeah. it is, um, takes place in Williamsburg at the, um, there's an arts, a museum down here and um, <clears throat> I went and visited and talked with one of the curators found out a little bit about the museum and the materials and the things that I use in the book and everything like that so I do try and interview at least I obviously do a lot of research uh, google the library that sort of thing um, to try and get the best information that I can. And you also have to realize this is always fiction. And I know, even I know when I look at some stuff, I'm like, oh, I help my general reader. I know that maybe police officers and things will be like, ah, they'd never do it that way. But I did call my police friend. I, I do have a couple of cop friends. And so I, I called one of them and I was like, okay, look, so this is what my people are doing and they're, you know, they're amateur sleuths. So they could do some of the crazy stuff that I, Karina's an amateur sleuth. So I, she does some crazy stuff that a police officer would never do. This is why I don't write police procedurals, <laughs> but I'll call my police and be like, okay, so how are the cops going to react to her behavior doing this? You know? Mm -hmm. um, and wow. he's, he's been, yeah, they've been very helpful. So it, it does help to have friends in these. I kind of collect them. And luckily there are authors in the mystery genre who used to do this type of thing. And so as I meet them at events and networking things, I'm like, oh, you do what? And I, uh, here's my card. Can I take your phone and information? And so I collect these people and then I call them <laughs> up and I'm like, hey, so I'm writing this book and I need to know, you know, I'm doing this or that. And is this true? 
and especially with my FBI buddy, because I, I called him numerous times for my Karina Cardinal books. And I'm like, well, you know, this is happening or this is happening. And he'd go, oh, yeah, that's believable. You, and then he'll tell me a story. Listen to this. <laughs> just so outrageous. <laughs> I mean, just so outrageous. I was like, you know, I'd never be able to write that because no one would believe that. He said, yeah, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> wow. What, well, is, I, what is your... I got to ask question. this one, more one thing. I just, I, that's, okay. I know you're getting one more question, but I just, I realized something when she was talking, we talk a lot about, cause I write um, serial killers and death. I do a lot of research on how long it takes bodies to decompose mm-hmm. and you know, like mm-hmm. how bullets spread, you know, like if you search, I, nobody around me needs to die. Cause I'm going to be in deep shit if somebody does. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's what happens. But I just realized, like, you're doing all this research on how to do art heists. I know, right? You better hope <laughs> nobody steals any art around you because you're in deep shit, too. That's how that would work. Right? <laughs> yeah. I know. Anyway. Just in my, just, yeah, I know. Lately, um, well, my, my, the uh, short story I just wrote was actually, it was a murder. It was a poison murder. So I did a lot of research on poison in my Google and was actually talking to a friend of mine who uh, is in the medical field. And I'm like, well, you know, have you ever seen this type of poisoning and what happens when this happens or when your body starts to break down this? And they were telling me, we were talking about different things about how the body reacts. And I was like, hmm, nobody better die around here. (laughs) Nobody better get poisoned. exactly because you're yeah trust me somebody i know you know what i mean well there's that lady who murdered her husband she wrote a book and then yes. her husband died from it she was arrested i can't remember the name of her that was the most I, wild story i actually um uh morbid the podcast covered that particular story recently oh that woman for as being as brilliant in some aspects as she was about that she was really dumb Mm-hmm. like she did some really <laughs> yeah. dumb stuff like yeah I, how do you not know there are video cameras by the way anybody listening intending on doing anything there are video cameras everywhere, everywhere. it doesn't matter where you are you're going to get caught on video camera so you know mm-hmm. get it together um yep okay. uh yeah go ahead, Bo. um what is your least favorite mystery trope that's like you see is like overplayed That's a hard one because I love mysteries and I love so much, you know, I, I enjoy so many of those. Um, probably, it's funny, if you'd asked me in the romance genre, I, I have tropes that I don't like. Like I've got a girlfriend who just, she writes the romance genre and she absolutely hates the, the secret baby. Um, oh yeah, I don't like secret baby. Yeah. Um, or and, sudden and there, pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, the secret baby, like they, they come in and they're adults and, and like the father never knew that he had, now he's got an adult kid or whatever. She hates that trope <laughs> and she's written it though because she also ghost writes and she's like, I have to write it and I hate it. <laughs> but I'm trying to think for mysteries. Well, Bo, you're, you're an editor. What don't you like when it pops up? Ooh. Oh. Turn it around on me. Well, I don't edit that many mysteries. I do edit a lot of romances. um, And it's always like the secret that if you just said the secret, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But Mm. because you didn't say the secret, um, 
it's now a big deal. And you're like, just, just say it, just say it, just say it. We can move on to other plot points, but it's, that's just it. Oh, right. So, and I know what you mean. Cause I'm, I'm not thrilled with that. Like they drag it out through the entire book, yes. like this little secret. And you're like, just, you know, just say it. And like along. maybe it'll be bad for like a day or two. Just, just tell the guy the secret. And then we can move on to other things. But then it becomes big and then they break up. I think like one of the, the third act break up. I think one of the things that I do dislike in um, mysteries is when you're learning all these characters and everything and they're telling you and they do do a twist, but it's like that one character that they mentioned once on page three and then never again. And suddenly that's the killer. And they've just thrown in all these red herrings instead. And you're following all the red herrings that they've put in. And you're like, you know, that doesn't make sense because you told us on page three and then this person was never in the book again or barely had any lines or was just background material like the (laughs) plant over there. And I have read a couple of those from big traditional publishers. And I'm just like, "Mm." Um, and even... I'm not going to say who this author is, but there is an author out there, a big name of New York, number one, New York Times bestseller. And this author writes um, legal thrillers for the most part, but also writes other, this person also moved into other kind of genres. And I don't like when this person, because I, I like some of the stuff that this author writes, but some of the stuff that this author writes, there are all these lines out there, all these different story and plot points that are way out there. And it's like this person was either on a time clock or was just tired of writing and then wraps it all up in one chapter at the end. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. There's like 15 different storylines out there and you just wrap it up and four of them you didn't even wrap up you just ignored and you're kind of like that's it that's the Stephen King ending where he gets bored at the very end and wraps it up in like three pages right or you're or you're like um or like I don't know maybe their publisher's calling going hey dude you're two weeks overdue come on man yeah (laughs) Well, I also think that if somebody gets in a pattern of writing a certain way, and then we're going to do rapid fire questions. Um, if somebody gets in a pattern of writing a certain way, they, unless somebody goes in and says, stop doing this. And I think this is true with all celebrities. I think it's very important when you're a celebrity or somebody of any kind that somebody is there to keep you in check. Mm-hmm. I don't think every person has enough people in their life, keeping them in check so that when you know, they do someone to say no. Yeah. Somebody going, that's a terrible idea. You're not doing that. Mm -hmm. And somebody goes, Oh my God, it's Stephen King, blah, blah, blah. And I I think Stephen King's writing is great. Don't get me wrong. But if he wraps up everything at the end, the only reason that's still happening is because everybody's like, yep, nope, this is how this is going to go. Instead of somebody going, Hey, can we, can we draw this out? And then maybe they said that to him and he went, no, fuck you. You're going to have this or not. And, <laughs> right. Well, and he's yeah. in the power of being able to do that sort of thing. And so is this other yeah. author I was speaking of who I <laughs> leave nameless. That's totally fine. You can I have him. met this author and I, anyway. Um, oh, okay. We're moving on from that. I like part, it. 
Part of me thinks I know who it is, but I won't say. <laughs> That's okay. We'll there's, be in the podcast. Clues. She can reveal and then we'll go. But we're going into literary briefs. Dun, dun, dun. Really Yay. need to get music for that. Okay. You do. <laughs> I do. Um, Ellen, what is your favorite book of all time? Well, this is a book that I have read over and over and over. So let's say it's my favorite one. I have read Memoirs of a Geisha so many times. Okay, which is not in my genre that? at all. What do I like about it? I yeah. just, I think the writing is beautiful and I just really love the storyline. Okay, what about your least favorite? Oh. oh. I did not like Life of Pi at all. Oh. <laughs> okay. And that was a big one, I know. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, that was such a great book and everything. there were so many things. I did not like it. It was not my cup of tea. And that's all it is when we're talking about it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad book. It just means it's not your, like I have people on the podcast all the time and they're like, oh, I don't know if I should answer. I'm like, listen, if if your opinion is what's going to make or break an author's career, we're in a very weird place. And I wonder how you got on my podcast, right? Like, (laughs) if if you have that much dominion over the universe, like we are, yeah. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, what about your favorite uh, book to movie? Where do you think they did a really good job of translating the story into a movie or a TV show? Have you ever seen, it was a BBC production of um, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, that and... would be no, because I dislike Jane Austen. Oh, look at yeah. me. She hates Jane Austen. I, I hate Jane Austen and not because she's a bad writer. I do not enjoy that ridiculously slow burns. I can't, oh. I can't, I can't have people doing embroidery. I did enjoy pride, prejudice and zombies. <laughs> so, but that was me, but I do I'm know, what is that think. the one with Colin Firth? Yeah, he was in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I do know what you're talking about because Colin Firth, you know, <laughs> So uh, what about one that you don't think they did a great job with? You should have prepped me for this. I don't know. There's a couple <laughs> out there. I don't um, prep. I don't prep anybody. No. I, I drink and I know things. That's it. <laughs> that second part might not be actually accurate. But the first part is. Think. Know what, some things. What books that I've read? that did not translate well. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I read the, um, uh, actually, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up a second. I think in that I really enjoyed the, how about I enjoyed the movie better than the book was actually the help. And one of the reasons why I liked that is because I feel as though Alice and Janney actually made that character likable and she was so dislikable in the book. And I really liked the way Alice and Janney changed or created that character the way she did. Very cool. Okay, Bo, over to you, my friend. Ask away. If you had to adapt one of your books into a movie, who would you cast as the main character? You know, it's funny because I, my husband and I sit around and have this discussion and a couple of years ago, I would have done, um, 
and maybe still now Jennifer Lawrence um, <laughs> as uh, my character in The Brass Compass, which is historical spy fiction. I love Jennifer Lawrence. She would be I great in that. She'd be great in anything. Yeah, she <laughs> she is great in anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. What is your desert island book? If you had to read one book for the rest of your life, and I'm assuming it might be Memoirs of a Geisha, but let's say it's not. Let's say okay. that's out of print and you can't get it. <sighs> can it be more? Can it be a trilogy? Can it be a group or only one book? Only a single only one book. Well, if they made it into a trilogy together, you can absolutely yeah. feel that. Idea. If it was like, you know, they packaged it together in one, like you could have the box set, I suppose, or the box set. <laughs> um, honestly, because it's so long and everything, I would probably choose something like The Lord of the Rings just because it's really long and it would give me, you know, a long time <laughs> to read that. And it's pretty, and it's, it's very in depth, you know. Um, so maybe that trilogy, if I'm allowed the box, <laughs> it would, it would I mean, take they, they package that in one book. Now I have the um, the whole trilogy in one book, and it's a it's a thick book. <laughs> so oh, you would you be go. busy for a little while. Yes, because it would give you something to read for a while, rather than just one single book like Memoirs of a Geisha. Because I think I would get sick of it actually if I only had that <laughs> one book. How sad would that be? Because I love to read and new things and and um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe I'd almost like some magazines or something. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite author? Who is your favorite author? Who is my favorite author? You know, Mary Stewart. I loved all her books growing up and reading. I just, I really did. And um, I love her um and Elizabeth Peters, actually, she writes the Amelia Peabody, and I am just fascinated with Egyptology, and um, which actually in one of my Karina Cardinals, I use an Egyptian death mask in the storyline, and um, I just, I love her stuff. Just love it. Still. What about least favorite author? I don't know, because if I find an author I don't like, I just don't read them. Mm -hmm. Um and you know that that kind of runs from different genres as well I I recently read a book by Jude Devereaux that I was just not thrilled with so I don't plan to read any more of her books but I don't know that she's my least favorite author I, that that's mm. kind of tough I think if I just if I'm not interested in your books I'm going to go on to something else like I said it's just not my cup of tea right what about um, reviews? So when you started, you went traditional. Do you read your reviews? Um, on really bad days, when I'm thinking about giving up, I'll go read my five-star reviews, but I do read my one-stars actually. So there's a conference coming up called uh, Creatures, Crimes, and Creativity. It's called 3 C3Con, and uh, it's happening. In we're both going to be there. Oh, yep. yay! So it's going to be in Columbia, Maryland. So while we're there... I'm going to be doing, I think for our breakfast, we're going to do mean reviews in the way of Jimmy Kimmel's mean tweets. And so <laughs> we're going to get up there. And if you would like to join me up there and read one of your mean reviews, we are for entertainment purposes. And because we are all authors, so we could all, you know, 
commemorate this time period together and read our awful reviews. I have, oh, I have an editorial review that I'm going to read. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I think you have to, when it comes to reviews, you really have got to go that first of all, it's not written for, for you. It's really written for other readers and yeah. you have to take it with a grain of salt because your book is not going to be for everybody. Right. You well, know. one of the things I tell, because I'm in a lot of, um, you know, forums and things like that with other authors, and you'll get a new author who's just like sobbing on the, oh my God, someone wrote this one star review, called it awful. And I'm like, all right, calm down. First thing, cook yourself a glass of wine. Second thing, go find your favorite book, your favorite author, and pick out that book and go and click on the one star reviews and read those. You haven't made it until you start getting one-star reviews. If all, because I don't believe it when I read and all there are, are five-star reviews, I'm not believing it because even the best authors out there, you know, you go to the Nora Roberts and you go to the big names, the big Stephen King and everything like that. And you go read their one-star reviews and then you're going to feel better about yourself. <laughs> well, and that's what I always tell people, go take your favorite popular book and go read the reviews Yeah, and click on one star. Like mm -hmm. literally sort, click on one star because every single book that's got a, a number of reviews is going to, I don't care if you think it's the greatest book ever written. Like Somebody someone will think like it's it. trash. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And some of it I've noticed. So one of the, I remember one of, this was like a, a reviewer who had a, a, like a blog, a blog reviewer. Uh-huh. And I guess she, she must've got, cause I know I didn't send it to her and she wasn't part of my blog tour. So she must've gotten my book. I think I had done Edelweiss. I'd put my book on Edelweiss for a period of time. And I think that's where she downloaded it. But what cracked me up is that she actually emailed me and said, oh, here's your review. And it was two stars. <laughs> and I was like, like please don't tell me that. <laughs> And yeah. so I click on the link and I read what she writes. And then I go around her blog because I'd never heard of this person. And I don't think many, many other people had heard of this person. And I, first of all, I realized she loved romances and she picked up my historical spy fiction. And I was like, lady, what are you doing reading this? This isn't your genre that you like to read. But also there were like maybe three, four-star reviews, and they all went down from there. And then on her main page, she's like, I suffer from depression. <laughs> like, well, I don't think the books you're choosing are picking up your, oh my you know, gosh. your mental health. That is so crazy. It's, it's interesting. And you also have to, um, we, we had this happen uh, recently for one of our authors is they had, they sent it to a book talk person, like a, tech, mm -hmm. you know, a, a TikTok a book reviewer mm -hmm. and the person didn't like their book and talked about it and stuff. So I always say if you're sending it to book reviewers and stuff, you, first of all, friend them, see yeah. what review, right? And you're not guaranteed a five star or four star from them. Even if you pay them, you're not right. guaranteed that. Mm -hmm. And so be 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 prepared. Be prepared. Okay, Bo, final yeah. question. Literary brief. Final yeah. question. Uh if you can go into one book world and live the rest of your life there, what would you pick? Harry Potter. And actually, I think you, I think you did ask who's my favorite author. And I would say JK Rowling is brilliant. And I can't tell you how often I've asked, oh, if there was a book you wish you'd written, what would it be? Oh, Harry Potter. Are you kidding me? 
She's a Billions theme park. Of dollars? Yeah. She's got a theme park. She's, you know, she was a billionaire giving away money like hand over fist that she was no longer a billionaire. And just, I do think those are brilliant books right up there, right up. Actually, that's what I want. I want the seven sets when I'm on my desert island, all the Harry Potters. That's what I want. One, one, one box, one box set of Harry Potter. That's what I want to read. There you go. And answers change. And with that, I just wish she had some different views on things. I will say yeah. I would like her fame, but different views. Okay. With that, um, Ellen, where can people find you in your books? Uh, well, they're everywhere in Barnes and Noble and Kobo and um, Amazon, of course. My website is ellenbutler.net, ellenbutler.net. And you can find everything you want to know there. They're welcome to join my newsletter and you get all the little sneak peeks and previews and freebies and things like that. Oh, that is wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and being with us and everything like that. And by the way, you have one of the coolest backgrounds I've ever seen. I love that. I hope that's wallpaper. Uh, uh, this? Yeah. This is actually, it's a, uh, it's an embroidered screen. Oh, that That's very uh, my, cool. my husband very gave cool. to me for my birthday. We found it at a consignment shop and I was like, Ooh, I think I need that. And he said, well, your birthday's coming up. I'll buy it for you. And I said, well, that's my zoom screen from now on. That's awesome. That is, it is brilliant. It is brilliant. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the amazing Bo Lake. Our guest has been Ellen Butler. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, leave comments. We'd love to hear from you, and we will catch you next time. Bye.